Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. These rooms hold a special place to me, you know, and uh, I've been coming here since 2001, and... Like I said, I just don't know how to really start this, but I do want to say, you know, to our newcomer, I'm glad you're here. Um, Hopefully, what you'll get to hear today is parts of your story, and you can walk away here thinking for once that you're not alone. Uh, That's what I came, that's what I found in these rooms, right? Um, So, I was reading in the 12 and 12 the other day, And uh, page 94, it says, we know that the pain of drinking had to come before sobriety and emotion or turmoil before security. And as I got to thinking about that, just that one sentence, it kind of it. That's where I was when I came back. When I came into these rooms in 2001, that's where I was. When I came back March 6th of last year, that's where I was again. Um. And I just want to tell you guys a little bit about what led up to that, what got me here. And then uh, maybe talk a little bit about sobriety, how I got a little bit of sobriety under my belt. And, and, and it's, it's, I don't know, I, I find it an interesting story, so we'll see if it, it, how it plays here. So uh, 2001, 9-11 had just happened, and I was... With my first wife, she was pregnant with our second child. And two or three days after 9-11 happened, uh, we were at a doctor's visit. And the doctor said, oh, I found something strange. And my wife at the time was like, what? He goes, you have an STD. (laughs) I was like, oh, crap. You know, and uh, he walked out of the room for a minute. My wife looked at me and said, how'd I get an STD? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I got it off of a toilet seat, you know, tried that line. And that didn't really fly because the doctor came back and the doctor's like, you can't get you can't get this (laughs) off a toilet seat. It just doesn't happen. So so I came into these rooms very soon after that because a therapist recommended it. And this noon meeting was the first meeting I had in September of 2001. And my newcomers meeting, I sitting, you know, I sitting over here somewhere. They shuffled us off into this room, and there were two or three guys that sat and talked to me. And I remember going out of this room thinking, "That's not me. <laughs> I'm not that. I'm not that." <clears throat> you know, because I heard stories of, yeah. Multiple affairs, which I was doing, but in my mind, I wasn't. 
You know, I heard stories of looking at porn for hours. In my mind, I wasn't. I heard stories of people having sex with chickens. I, I definitely wasn't doing that. But, you know, I, mean, I heard all kinds of random stories. I'm like, man, these people are crazy. That's not me. And I left, but I kept coming back. I just kept coming back, and I kept coming back. And I kept meeting people like Marty and Ryan and, and uh, Harvey and Lee and all these people. And Patrick. He was talking about Patrick. That was my first sponsor. Now, if you can imagine this, my first sponsor was a blind guy. I'm like, how in the world does a blind guy look at porn? I don't get it. But he did. And that was, you know, he got me through step four. I was, And I stayed sober for four years. But after four years, my wife said, I can't live with a sex addict. I can't deal with you always going to meetings and always going to be, you're always going to have this problem. It's never going to go away. And I can't deal with that. So my wife leaves and I thought, hallelujah. Because I was here only for my wife and those two kids. So when she left and took the two kids, I went out with a vengeance. And I had heard lots of good stuff to try sitting in these rooms, right? So I tried it. I tried everything I'd heard about and then some. And the next thing I know, I'm remarried. My wife now catches me in some affairs, multiple affairs. She catches the emails. She sees what's going on, and I kind of lie my way out of it. But then I finally admit, you know what? I'm what you call a sex addict. And she's like, great. I was married to one of those before. So she, her first husband was a sex addict. And she said, I don't want to do that. And I said, okay, I know this cool thing called SA. I'll go to it and I'll get all better and we'll be good, right? And so I tried that about four years ago. And I came back in and I, and I did, you know, the book talks about half measures. I tried the half measures. I, I would come to meetings and I wouldn't do the step work. I didn't do anything. I'd listen to my sponsor, but then I would argue with him and then I would not do it or I would not do it or I'd not do it and lie to him. But all this stuff, you know, and I couldn't stay sober. I was, when I came back in these rooms, I was running four affairs simultaneously and I was looking at pornography at least eight hours a day, I work from home. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at porn. I work 10 minutes. I'll look at porn for another 45 minutes. I'll work 10 minutes. I wasn't a very good employee. I wasn't a very good husband. And uh, I was I was not doing so well in my job. And uh, in sales, if you're not making phone calls and being in front of people, you just, you don't make sales, right? It just doesn't happen. And then the gig was up again. About the third or fourth time my wife caught me, she found my emails. She started looking again, and she goes, Preston, this isn't going to fly. I am out of here. And uh, that was March 5th of last year. And March 5th of last year, I thought, my stepkids are gone. My new wife is gone. And instead of doing what I did in 2001 or well 2005 2006 time frame i actually thought well i know what going back out there is going to get me and i was miserable i was literally sitting on my couch i had been uh, my wife had caught me i've been looking at porn i've been trying to get a hookup going again with somebody and i was just in misery 
it wasn't fixing me anymore. The drink wasn't working. I was in complete and utter misery. And so I came back into these rooms and I got a new sponsor. And uh, my new sponsor opened up the big book. And I say the big book. To me, it's a little book because I like to carry this one, the little guy. But on page 58, you know, he read this part here. If you uh, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. And at that point, I was like, I'm ready. I'm sick of this life. I can't do it anymore. I'm miserable. And uh, so my sponsor said, okay, if you're ready to do certain things, then I want you to, number one, get the big book. I want you to get the 12 and 12, and I want you to read them. Read them. I've been in this program off and on since 2001, and I haven't yet gotten all the way through this big book, 146 pages. So is that right? Well, this one's got 188 pages. So I hadn't gotten through all the book. So then I'm desperate enough to actually do it. So I sit down and I'll read this book, and then I start reading this book, the 12 and 12, and I get through them in just a couple of days. And I come to my sponsor and said, I've done it. He goes, you did what? He didn't even remember what he told me to do. He just said, do it. I said, I read the big book. And on top of that, I read the 12 and 12. And I was like, he's like, cool. Okay, let's sit down. And uh, he sat down with me and, and he started working through these things called the steps. And I was so hungry for it. Um, it took me about, about eight months to get through all 12 steps for the first time. It took me, you know, that, that, few amount of months. And he actually said, work them as fast as you can, you know, work them as fast as you can. He says, don't work them any faster than the founder Bill W did. That was his famous saying. And Bill W worked the steps in one day. So I, I, I took eight months and I got through it. And, uh, that's not all I did though. I would love to say that the steps is all I did. And I got sober and, and the steps were a huge part of me getting sober, but there is so much more to this program. And the one thing my sponsor, and I want to kind of share some of the things that I did to kind of help keep me sober once I got on a roll, right? Um, and then I'll share a little bit about where I'm at this week, even. Um, so not only did I read these two books, I picked up all these books. Uh, recovery continues. Uh, member stories. A new pair of glasses. Chuck C. I mean, if you, these are great. The real connection just came out, so I only got it recently. But you know, I've got it now. Step into action, and I went through that and worked the steps a second time with this book, which was really cool. You know, um, this one. A lot of AAers read it. The Little Red Book. That's not necessarily approved literature by it. AA, but they read it a lot. So I picked it up and I read it. I talked to some old timers. Uh, that's, a, that's a therapy book. So heart, Voices of the Heart. So how many of you guys have heard of somebody by the name of Jess L? You know Jess L. I know you know Jess L. So Jess L is one of the people that helped to found this in California along with Roy K. He was also Harvey A's sponsor. And if you guys know Harvey, he's here in Nashville, got 36 years of sobriety, I believe. Well, I was, I started listening to everything I could find to, to, I wanted 
to find out how Harvey got sober. So I started looking at the at the recovery tape libraries I could find. We have CDs around here in the trunk. I know uh, there's recordings that are on the internet. And I started finding them, and I was just listening. And Harvey started talking about Jessel. So I found some Jessel tapes. I found out the dude was an author. He wrote books like. I don't know where I'm going, but I sure ain't lost. And how to have the perfect marriage uh, with your present mate. I'm like, man, I ought to read some of these books. So, so I mean, and you can't get these books anymore. These are used off of eBay, you know. And I found them. And, I mean, he's got so much knowledge in these books. And I just started immersing myself by reading. And then I also started immersing myself. I was spending, you guys, you heard me say earlier, I was spending eight hours a day minimum looking at porn and masturbating. I started spending about that much time gathering as much information about SA as I could. Um, And I found that all these tapes are just everywhere. They're now recordings, MP3s, they're everywhere, and they're hard to get to, hard to consume. And so I, I created this thing, a podcast. I've never done it before, but I was like, for me, I wanted to be able to listen to it. I drive in sales. I drive to I drive to Memphis all the time. I drive to Knoxville. I go to Jackson, Mississippi sometimes. So on these three to six hour drives, I just started, it was just for me, this podcast. And I started listening, downloading them to my phone and listening. And, um, and then I, I started to see that it was useful. So I started giving it to other people. And that's how I got written up on this board. You know, I'm like, hey, this is cool. And so I started immersing myself in that. And then I, I started going, well, some of these guys are still alive. Harvey A, Lee T. So I started going to meetings that um, I'd go to the Bellevue meeting on Tuesdays that Harvey had founded. It was started in his house. And I would go and just immerse myself in anything I could get from Harvey. Now, I, I'm here to tell you, I think Harvey is batshit crazy. <laughs> but he's sober and I want that, right? And then... Um, you know, I had started coming to this portable again, and I started coming to the 6.30 in the morning meeting. Now, you want to talk about going to any links. I work from home. I live in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And so coming up here to get here at 6.30 in the morning just to turn around and go back home, that wasn't convenient. But I did it just about every day for about a year. And uh, it helped keep me sober. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, right? And I, I was willing to go to any links. Um I was willing to do anything. Uh, one of my sponsees called recently and he's like, you know, hey, I'm struggling with masturbating in the shower. And I said, well, have you tried taking a cold shower? <laughs> I did that. You know, I started taking a cold shower. And I tell you what, when you get out of the shower, number one, you feel really good. It invigorates you. It's a cold shower. But you know what? I sure as heck am not staying in there long enough to masturbate either. <laughs> so, so it's two for one, right? So it helps you stay sober. So you know, anything, whatever it takes to stay sober. Um, Patrick N., I remember, and I, I've started doing this without my sponsor telling me, but I remember calling him one time, and I'm like, I'm just ready to go see a prostitute. I want to, I, I just need something. And he goes, what you need to do is go to Kroger's and pick up trash in the parking lot. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? what does that have to do with anything? He said, just do it. And I did it. And, and you know what? I stayed sober that day. It's whatever. It doesn't make sense sometimes. Um, But what I do know is I cannot negotiate with my disease. I can't. I wake up in the morning 
And I've got a routine that I kind of follow now. Pretty much happens every morning. I get up. I, I open my cell phone. This used to be... Where is it now? This guy used to be my number one piece of kryptonite. I used to use it to, to connect with hookups, to look at porn, to get on dating sites, to do all this other stuff. And today I open it up first thing in the morning. I open it up to the Daily Ponderables. It's an email I get every day with AANA, uh, some Zen Buddha stuff, some you know, American Indian stuff. I, you know, I just I read it. And then I hit my knees in the morning and I say my prayers and it's really darn hard. Not once you've hit your knees, it's really darn hard to actually act out that day. I don't know what it is so far. It hasn't happened. So I'll keep trying. It. But, <laughs> but you know, uh, it, it's just, and, and, and then I listen to, you know, anything I can get my hands on and I've made my recovery as important to me as, as I've made acting out used to be. Right. And uh, one of the one of the things that happened this week, I was on the phone with a another salesperson and I noticed the conversation going in a way that I used to really just enjoy taking it that way. It was flirtatious to a degree. And she had mentioned that she had applied for the bachelorette. And she didn't, she, she got accepted, but then she turned it down. She couldn't stop her job or whatever. And I just joked and me and my sex addict, you know, mind goes straight to, you know, one guy, 27 girls, I wouldn't mind being the bachelor is what I said. And, and she laughed and then it became kind of, I could tell it was a little over the line. It was flirtatious and I shouldn't have said that. Right. And as soon as she started to kind of flirt back a little bit, the first thing that I did was like, you know, I'm sorry, I got to go. I didn't really have to go, but I had to go. I had to get out of there for the first time. This is 18 months of sobriety for me. And for the first time in my life, I've actually started to run from the lust. It's never happened in my life before, you know, used to, I would have let that play itself out to its natural conclusion or what I would have hoped to been its natural conclusion. And today I run, I'm like, look, I got to get out of here. I can't do this. And I leave. And honestly, kind of scared me a little bit, right? I was talking to one of my good friends in this program this morning about it. And I really hadn't shared it with anybody until now, you know. And 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 for a couple of days, it kind of was like, man, I, I need to text her. I need to call her or something. I need to rekindle this thing, you know. And then every time that that, that thought would come in, I would start to obsess about it then I would get this ugly, nasty, scared feeling inside of me because I, when one, I knew I was coming to talk to you guys today, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, I can't really do that. But then there's this other part. I'm married to a wonderful woman that stuck through. She actually wants to be married to me today. I don't know why. I think she's as crazy as I am, but she stuck with me through this. She knows that I'm here talking to you guys today. And, and, that to me is a miracle that I could never have gotten any other way, right? And for me, I just have to take it as a sign that I'm getting better. I'm doing what the book says. I hope that I'm becoming a recovered individual, and I don't know when that will happen. But right now, I still feel like I'm in recovery, right? And so I just have to just keep doing what I'm doing. 
And I want to end with something. I was watching, I love reality shows, and I, I don't know why, I just like them. Most of them are beautiful disasters. But there was this one called Castaways that was on recently, and they plucked like 12 people out of their everyday lives. And they dropped them in the Pacific Ocean around a bunch of islands with luggage that was not their own. And they each had journals, right? And they had to write in their journals before they got dumped in the ocean. And then while they're on the island, they wrote whoever's journal they got, and they were writing. So they're writing in it, and I noticed one thing that kept coming up. Every one of these people, as they were writing, when it first started, they were like, I got this. I got this. I got this. As the phrase that just kept coming up over and over and over and over. They were not rescued for 49 days. They didn't know how long they had. They just knew that at some point they would get rescued if they stuck it out. And slowly, some of these people would swim across the channels or explore the island, and they would start to come together. And as groups started to form, I noticed that the verbiage in their journals started to change from I've got this to we've got this. Now, out of the 12 that were dropped on the islands, only five found each other. More found the groups, but decided to try to do it on their own, still writing in their journals, I got this. And without fail, the only ones that actually survived are the ones that changed from I got this to we got this. And so to me, the spiritual lesson in that messed up reality TV show was I can't do this on my own. Just like those guys couldn't do it on their own. They needed the we, not the I. And as long as I say, I got this, I started to say it some this week. I started to isolate. I started not to tell people about what I was struggling with. And the obsessive thinking came back. And when I opened up this morning and told somebody what was going on in my brain, it went from I got this back to we got this. And it wasn't so bad. You know, it just wasn't so bad. So uh, I don't know how long I've been talking We've got plenty of time left, but that's about all I've got to say, you know, is just just change that that thought from I to we. And uh, with that, floor is open. If you guys have any questions, feel free to ask. That I'm grateful for about having my sex addiction okay three things that i'm grateful for about you know that's that is a unique question um number one is i wouldn't have this recovery without my sex addiction i grew up in a church very strict church setting and i knew god like i know new york i've never been to new york I've seen it on TV shows and reality TV shows probably, but you know, I mean, I've seen it, but I haven't ever been there. The closest I've been is to New Jersey and I've seen the skyline and that's about it. So I knew God like that, but I didn't know God. And so for me, I'm really grateful that today I'm starting to have a better understanding of a God that I can live with. I couldn't live with my God that I grew up with. So that's one. Two is today I have the opportunity to be not only helpful to people in these rooms and I have got a lot of good friends in these rooms that I rely on, but I'm also more helpful to my family. Who's none of them are in any kind of recovery. 
I'm more helpful to my employer and my people, my colleagues that I work with. I'm not wasting their time. So I'm really grateful that today I'm productive. Uh, I can look back at my day and not be ashamed. Uh, so that's, that's a good thing. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm grateful that I have a way of living that I can deal with today because my other way was killing me. Oh, I was going to, I was ready to blow my brains out October 5th, uh, excuse me, March 5th. I was ready to blow my brains out and I didn't. So, you know, it was, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful I'm still here to share. So now, all those, all those that make sense. Like I like to, in a lot of ways, ask why you're grateful because I've been, I've been working on this in the book where it's called Rightful Gratitude. And it kind of asks you to tell you what you're grateful for in the morning before you go to bed and it asks you different questions and questions in the evening. Some are deep and some are simple. And I've noticed with my own addiction about focus on things that I'm grateful for, it really kind of takes me away. It takes my mind out of a place of negativity to positivity and it really helps me put some of the things that are really awesome in my life. Yeah. Just focusing on the shame and giving myself up. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, to your point, you know, Harvey always talks about, he wakes up every morning. I think he does a great, great to listen, what, five things every morning? Yeah. I think it's five things every morning. And he's told me, he said, it's really hard to act out when you're grateful. I mean, that's kind of his mentality. And it's true. My acting out was always because of negative thinking. Yeah. In the, in the booklet, the point of it is to add gratitude. So for me, just creating it, I'll notice if I'm stuck in traffic, so I normally kind of get angry about traffic. I'm grateful about the car. 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 I'm you know, even with me going to ask you questions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm grateful for having you here. In a selfish way, I'm grateful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Ryan Sexaholic. Hey, Ryan. Um, as far as, I guess, two things is, is the first thing is how do they use this? How do you use a sponsor mm-hmm. today? Um, and is it drastically different than how we used? sponsors in the past yes so the question is how have i used sponsor how do i use my sponsor today versus how i did in the past right so very interesting you know conversation so a sponsor for me so my first sponsor patrick great sponsor great guy we became close personal friends and that seemed to break down but some of the ways i was work, i didn't work the steps we became great friends. We kind of forgot about working the steps and, and it was great, but it ultimately didn't keep me sober in the end. Right. Uh, when I came back into the program, I call, I, I would use my sponsor as a lifeline. I am, a, my ass is on fire. I can't stand my wife and I'm fixing to act out. And the sponsor would be most sponsors. Most decent sponsors seem to say, uh, okay, go try that and tell me how it turns out, you know? And, I was like, okay, I'll try it, you know. Um, And today, I heard on one of the tapes I was listening to, I can't remember who it was, but they said, "If I think it was Jess L., and he asked somebody, are you calling your sponsor, how many times are you calling a week? 
And uh, the guy's response was like twice a week. And he says, well, then I want you to call him four times a week. So how, how often are you praying? You know, oh, about once a week. Well, I want you to pray three times a week. And he says, you see what I'm doing there? I'm telling you to, to ramp it up. If you're doing it three times a week, call him four times a week. If you're doing it four, do it five. If you're doing it five. So I'm at the point where I pretty much call my sponsor almost every day. My sponsor picks up the phone and he goes, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. He says, do you need any help? And I'm like, well, I, no, I just want to talk. And he's like, okay, uh, I'll call you later. Click. I mean, he's, you know, it's gotten that, you know, to that point, I prefer that instead of me calling with my ass on fire, you know? Um, but I use him not as a, not as a lifeline or a life raft when I'm in trouble, but I call him before I'm in trouble and it helps me. And he'll hear my bullshit when I'm like, Oh, I'm doing great. Blah, blah, blah. Well, didn't you just say your wife lost her job? Well, yeah. Well, don't you think you should be worried about it? Well, no. You know, and then he would ask, and, and there is some bullshit in that because I've got more money than I've ever had in the bank and we're fine financially, but I'm worried that now my wife is looking for an at-home job and guess what? <laughs> I'm at home. <laughs> I work from home. I don't want my wife at home. Um, so there was some bullshit in that and I had to talk to my sponsor about that and, and turn that from, I don't want her there to, well, this is a great opportunity for us to get closer, right? And so... So, you know, I just, that, that's how I use a sponsor today is to kind of, before this Titanic sinks, I'm already in that lifeboat waiting. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Any other questions? You solved the everybody's problem. I did it. I did it. You solved everybody's problem. So if we don't have any more questions, we can open up the, uh, open up the meeting. I have a question. I've always kind of Gone through any length. I know you could touch on it. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't recommend any more sticking out nine days, nine nights. You know, but do I? Yeah. What do I say to a newcomer? I basically said what I just said. I tell them who I am, where I come from, what what I've done in my past, um, and I try to stick to. Today, I'm not scared. I can hand my wife my phone and I don't have any fear. First time that's ever happened in my life. Uh, you know, I can, she can get on my computer and do whatever she wants. And I'm not worried about, oh, did I erase the history? You know? Um, so, yeah, no, that, that you know, it's just that, that hope for, I think hope gets, that's what I tell. There's hope, I think, is the, the key message that. You don't have to live like you did, like I did. I think that's the message I try to send as best I can. This is a good question. So uh, one of my sponsors before I, before I really, this, this last for my last 18 months. So about three years ago, one of my sponsors recommended I go to Bethesda. Uh, I went there. It was just an introductory course to sex addiction. I already knew about sex addiction. So I felt like I didn't get much, but I did get a therapist out of it. He's board certified, blah, 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 blah. But I knew this guy was a real sex addict. He knew what I was going through, right? And so for the first few months, it was pretty crucial that I bounce a lot off of him because I'm trying to, trying to stay sober and trying to 
um, trying to get, you know, where I'm going and also trying to save my marriage. And he was one of the first to ever tell me, don't worry about your marriage. You know, I think people said it here. I just didn't hear it. Right. This is a true counselor telling me that. So it played a little role, but I really, I'm at the point where now I talked to my therapist. Um, well, I talked to my therapist just uh, about, I don't know, two months ago when my wife had recommended that, uh, she wants to get emotionally closer to me and I didn't know how to do that. So I went to him and asked how to do that. So when it comes to things like emotions and opening up, that's not stuff we really handle here. So it's a good place for me to go. When my wife is digging deeper, wanting to know more, wanting to get closer, wanting to reconnect with a husband she thought she never could have, that's where I reach for help because that goes a little bit beyond where we're at, you know, in the big book. I mean, the big book addresses a lot of that, but it just gives me that deeper help. So that's what outside role therapy has. Yes, sir. Do you have any spots that you feel a tendency to keep slipping? And if you do, what do you do with those spots? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, I have sponsees that tend to slip, and it's a struggle. I want sobriety for them, but in the same aspect, I was a slipper. <laughs> um, and I had one text me the other day, and he he had just slipped a couple of days ago, and, and and I texted him back, and and I said, "It's okay, just call me." And he's like, "Well, thank you for not." firing me and I, I don't fire I don't fire anybody I said if God's not going to give up on you I sure so not you know who am I to play God so um, my sponsees may fire me but I don't fire them and, and typically I just continue because it Harvey I texted him the other day and so one of the guys I came into this program with Steve Steve S in Memphis has 16 17 years of sobriety and he and I walked in the, these rooms the same time, right? He has 16 or 17 years of sobriety, and I have 18 months. And I, I texted Harvey because I was feeling kind of bad about that. And Harvey said, you know, sometimes it just takes what it takes. And so Harvey just kind of let me know it's okay. And that's exactly the way I feel about all my sponsors. It's okay. It takes what it takes. Just keep calling. Keep coming back. That's, that's what I do. I don't do anything other than that. And encourage them to work the steps with me because the steps saved my life. So, yeah. Hey, Donald. All right. So you talked about um, you know getting to meetings, doing the steps, you know, books, books that you're reading. Talk about fellowship outside of words. How important is that to you to not just have a relationship with guys in the rooms, but have a relationship? Oh, absolutely. Um, so the question is, what does recovery look like outside of these rooms with other guys? And um, yes, it's very important. Um, one of my absolute best friends is in Franklin. He's in these rooms and we went kayaking a few weeks back together. And you know, we, we had a really good experience. We saw buzzards and we talked about spiritual things about buzzards. You know, if, if God can create these buzzards that clean up the biggest messes in, in the wilderness, why can't he clean up my mess? Good story. Good life lesson. You know, um, and, you know, Donald, you and I, we talk at least once or twice a week and we try to fellowship outside of here occasionally. And it, yeah, I, without people like you and Kevin 
and other people that I rely on, my sponsor. Uh, if I don't meet them outside these rooms, I'm dead. I, I don't know how to have a relationship. The only way I can build it is with other people that don't know how to have a relationship. Because <laughs> then I don't look like a big idiot, you know. But, uh, no, it, it works. It just it does. Uh, I've heard that said that, you know, you can take two dirty dish rags, put them in dirty water, and it comes out clean. That's exactly what we're doing here. We're building those that clean everything, you know, by working on it outside these rooms and in. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, did you have your hand up? I can't remember your name, but did you have your hand up or were you just? No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm also... Uh, the slipper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but for the first time, I feel like I'm going with you talking about it. I'm really trying to dive into the literature, and I do drive a lot. And all of a sudden, after three years of driving a lot, now it's the last two weeks I've been listening to it. I've been on phone meetings, and I didn't even know about your podcast. And I said, well, I'm going to put it out. Um, I got the, 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 the CDs from there. And now all of a sudden, my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going through a manic phase, and I'm just now obsessing with this stretch. Yeah, do you think that way at all? With getting into it? And I've been diagnosed manic depressive. Right. And, and um, and it seems like what's happened to me while well, I have manic like, periods and then I get depressed and I do that and I cycle over the night. I'm not on medication now and I have been in the past. Yeah. So my question is like, do you find that sometimes you do too much? <laughs> Heck yes. <laughs> um, my wife is actually a good barometer, right, of where I'm at. So there were times I was going to as many meetings as I could get to. I was diving into recovery, and I'm not saying that's bad, but it was taking away from my family, and I wasn't at home. And my wife just said, you know, I really, now that you're in this recovery thing, and I don't know much about it, but I do want to be in a relationship with you. I would love it if you were home a little bit more, you know? And, uh, you know, at first I'm like, well, come on, I got I to gotta do this to stay sober, and then... Then I just adjusted my thinking a little bit after talking to my sponsor, and I started uh, adjusting my meeting so I wasn't away at night, so that when she's home, I'm home. Uh, because recovery really does start at home for me, right? Uh, but I still am a very uh, – I use my obsessive-compulsive nature to my advantage now. And, yes, I do dive into recovery pretty heavy. Uh, I mean, the podcast takes – I've got 320-something episodes. I've listened to every one of them. And, and 18 months. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of listening, right? You know, some of them are hour and a half long. So, I, yeah, it, it, but it benefits me to, you know, it, it's that immersion thing. I get immersed into it. I stay a lot more healthy, sane, and sober. I'd rather be immersed in this than the porn I was looking at before, right? So, yeah. Any, anything else? So, and I know we have a newcomer. Do you have... Any, I'm going to turn this off. Do you have any questions or anything that you have? That, that's usually what a newcomer's meeting is about, right? You get to ask questions of us. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, 